This is Chase Garbarino, co-founder and CEO of HQO, and this is the Let's Go Show. All right, all the way from the UK, Ian, thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you. Good to be here. So, um, yeah, thanks for doing it on a Friday here. Um, so just quickly, maybe take a few minutes and let the audience know a little bit about you and your role and a little bit about Grosner overall. Yeah, okay. Well, let me uh, let me do goes the other way around slightly. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Grosner and then I'll, I'll touch on uh, a bit about me and my history in, in Grosner. Um, so Grosner's been around for a little while, it's fair to say. <laughs> Um, uh, over 340 years to be uh, more precise Um, Mm -hmm. and to give you some feel for that um, Grosvenor was developing Mayfair which you may well know in in the west end of London a pretty prestigious part of town we were developing, I say we, not me uh, developing Mayfair about 50 years before the Declaration of Independence was signed (laughs) so um, (laughs) the, the, the company had so you guys have a little experience. Yeah. Well, you'd think we would know what we were doing by now, wouldn't you? But uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so so we've been around for a while. Um, very long, rich history. In fact, the family, Grover uh, family, have a history that can chase back to 1066. So it's, it's a very long history. Um, and actually, the Grosvenor, as, as we know it now, is uh, one of the world's largest privately owned um, international property companies in the world. Uh, so while we started uh, clearly in London, in Mayfair and Belgravia uh, and Pimlico actually, um, about 60, 70 years ago, uh, we started a sort of international foray, um, which was about moving into uh, Vancouver. So Anasis Island in Vancouver. And since then we've expanded into Asia uh, and Europe, obviously, as well as the UK and North America. So. Uh, we're in about 60 cities around the world um, and we cover most of the real estate sectors, certainly the three major ones of uh, residential, commercial, retail and commercial office. Um, so, yeah, so we, we have a fairly wide footprint um, and a very long history. Uh, my history with Grosvenor is not quite 340 years old. Um, <laughs> it, it is just nine years old uh, and I've spent most of my uh, career and Grosvenor career certainly as a as a finance guy. So uh, I've been a finance director for for a number of years, um, but have more recently switched slightly uh, into digital innovation, um, and that that sort of came out of uh, us really looking at the business and saying, well, look, what's coming at us that we need to be prepared for. Uh, and, and a lot of that will be digital disruption. So how, how should Grosvenor be set up to, to deal with that? And one of the, the early conclusions we made was it's quite hard to predict exactly the technology wave. It would be far easier to say that we need a dedicated resource uh, in order to deal with whatever comes our way. So uh, quite early on in a, in a project, we decided that innovation resource was what we needed. And so we set up the digital innovation team uh, about two years ago now, uh, and I was asked to, to lead that team, uh, which I've been doing. Um, my time in Grosvenor has spanned both the UK business as well as the Asia business. So I was in Asia, Hong Kong, Tokyo for five years, 
uh, and came back to the UK in July 2019 to take up my current role as, as Managing Director for Digital Innovation. Yeah, no, that's uh, interesting to go from that role to this. From a innovation perspective, what are the things that are top of mind uh, for you and the organization? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that we we often say in the, in the team and around the business is that while real estate is local, which is why we have um, a devolved organization, we have um, separately governed, managed um, companies in each of the geographies we're in. So real estate is local, uh, but technology is global. And so in, in my role and in the digital innovation team, what we really do is try to look across the world at where is the best technology, where is the best innovation happening, and try and uh, feed that into Grosvenor wherever it fits best. Um, so we, we kind of use our, our wide geographical footprint to sort of tap into to some of that, that, um, that innovation. And I think when we look at you know, what, what's sort of top of mind for us, if you think about the sectors that we're exposed to, one of them being retail, um, mm. it's, it's quite easy to see that actually we need to be working quite harder at, at, at our innovation in retail because it's a severely impacted sector. Um, mm. We have a, a fairly significant holding in retail. It's pretty nice retail. If you think about some of the streets in Mayfair and Belgravia, et cetera, we have a very um, excellent uh, shopping center uh, in Liverpool one. Um, but nevertheless, it is uh, quite impacted. And so, so we spend a lot of time looking at the future model of retail uh, and what innovation needs to happen there to, to improve the customer experience and really try to counter some of this, this general shift to online retail. Um, because we still believe that physical retail, the experience of physical retail is absolutely important and usually in the center of communities. Um, so it, it's an important sector for us in terms of our um, economic exposure to it, but it's in, an important sector to, for us because we believe it's a fundamental part of the vibrancy of cities. Um, so as well as the residential that we're exposed to uh, and commercial office, uh, retail is a critical part of that. Now, needless to say, uh, the pandemic has thrown up some interesting challenges on commercial office too which maybe had existed prior to the pandemic, but certainly have been slightly accelerated. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's a bit for us to do. And I, you know, maybe we'll come on to talk a little bit more detail later about sustainability and environmental goals because innovation and technology will play a critical part in delivering those. Yeah, you touched a little bit upon the challenges that face office. Mm. Um, I mean, what what's your... And now that we're 18 months into mm. this black swan event, um, yeah. what, what do you think is, uh, the lasting impacts you know, now that we've had a little time to, to absorb what, yeah. what this is going to mean for office? Yeah, I think probably, I, I think slightly differently than that, that I don't know that we have had enough time to absorb what this means for office because, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not all yet back in offices. I mean, we've not really had the opportunity to for obvious reasons. So quite what the impact of all of this is going to be is slightly uncertain. I think the at an early part of the pandemic, when people were really, you know, getting familiar with all of the collaboration tools, whether it be Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever equivalent, um, we all proved to ourselves that it was possible to work remotely and virtually. But I think as this has gone on, 
and certainly I'll speak from my own experience, you do realize that there is something missing from an in-person collaboration, idea generation. How do you maintain the culture of an organization? How do you ensure that particularly younger people earlier in their careers really understand what it is to work in the organization? How do they Mm. get to learn from more seasoned, more experienced people in the business? All of these things are so much more difficult virtually than they are physically. So have we really seen the the total impact of, uh, of working in offices? I don't think we have yet. If I take a step back, though, and think about, you know, Grosvenor's position, I mean, with such a long history, as you can imagine, we've seen a massive amount of change. I mean, we've... the. the you guys have been through several pandemics. So when I say black swan, I actually describe it as not. It's not. Um, and, you know, wars and political unrest and, you know, the, you know, Grosvenor has seen a lot of it. But generally, these things uh, have taken, apart from pandemics, clearly Spanish flu and, and others, um, these things generally take some time to evolve. You know, what what is it that people want from residential properties? What is it they want from retail or commercial office, all these things. What I would say now is that the pace of change is far greater than it has ever been in our history. Mm. You know, particularly with the move to digital, it's just a greater, if I say threat, it's also an opportunity, but but quite how physical real estate adapts, it's very difficult because it is a generally a fixed, immovable thing and it doesn't actually adapt that quickly. So. So we're having to to face that um, you know challenge of customer expectations changing, but the physical property not being able to change as quickly as customer expectations are changing, um, which makes it difficult, but also creates opportunity for us, particularly uh, as it pertains to service, because Grosvenor and, and you know other real estate firms like us have always been just providers of space. You know, someone would take a lease. You know, we own the property, we're the landlord, someone would take a lease. Usually, if we're talking about offices, large floor plate offices, very good. You know, we'll speak to the, the person who signed the lease probably in five years' time when it's come, it's time to renew the lease. Those days are pretty much gone, I would say. Mm. You know, what, what, what does an office occupy and need from a building? These things are going to change probably year to year, not necessarily month to month, but um, how people actually consume the space and use the space is changing pretty rapidly. Um, so I think how we provide service, how we provide some utility in terms of, you know, what can you get out of the space? How are you using the space in the right way? So as an example of this, you know, we're looking a lot at um, occupancy sensing so that, you know, we can partner with the occupier, uh, the occupier to say, look, you really don't use that amount of space very well. You could be using it better if you configured it like this. Uh, Maybe this size space isn't right for you, but we do have other space that we think is better because we understand how you use space. Mm. Now, that sort of data-driven, insight-driven approach and partnership approach is a far richer experience for the occupiers um, and the people taking the lease because it's not a well, you rented some space from us and we'll see you in five years' time. It's a, we want to make sure that you're getting the best out of that space. And so it's an ongoing conversation rather than a once every five years conversation. I mean, that throws up its own challenges, but I think that's the direction we're heading in. The other thing which I think is is interesting is, is how we connect 
different sectors. Um, mm. You know, the way we think about it, and if you if you follow a, an office worker in terms of their journey, there are all sorts of touch points they have with physical space and place. Sure. And only one of them is an office. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they they ride the train, they take a you know a taxi, take a cab, they they go out for lunch, they go to a coffee shop. They, they are a resident, a shopper, a diner, as well as an office worker. And I think when we have, such as HQ, if you have a, a, an app or a platform that allows you to connect different sectors of the real estate into one, then that's, that's putting the customer at the center of this and saying, well, what is it they want? You know, what does an office worker want when they come into a city center? It isn't just to come and type emails on a computer in an office. Mm. They want far more than that. Right. So how do you, that concept, I think is really interesting. You just said putting the customer at the center. Mm. How well do you think that you guys as an organization have adopted that mindset and how do you, I mean, in terms of mapping the journey of say the end user of a building, there's a lot of people in commercial real estate that fundamentally just don't think that way. They kind of think the way that you just described, which was, you lease a floor for five years, we'll see in five years, at which point we expect the rent will be higher, right? Yeah. I mean, how, how did you guys, obviously you're digital, so like you've kind of adopted that user-centric mindset, but yeah. you know, how did you guys get there? And then how are you thinking about that organizationally, right? Yeah, and it's, and it's very much a live conversation because as you rightly say, as an industry, the, the real estate industry has not traditionally thought this way. Um, now, I personally, I come from a retail background, so I, I worked in a supermarket, mm. uh, lar- largest supermarket in the UK, Tesco, for 12 years. So this idea of customer first, customer at the center of everything you do is not alien to me. Sure. But as you say, it's it's been quite alien to the real estate industry. Um, it's quite clear to us, though, organizationally, that our future strategy can only be shaped by putting a customer at the center of it. And by customer, I don't even mean the tenant. <laughs> I mean the end consumer of space. You mean the employee? So the employee, the, the shopping customer, the diner, the you know, the, the resident. You know, it's, it, they're the people who get the most out of that space. And if they don't want to come to that office or that shop or that restaurant, or what, then we have a problem. Yeah, Everyone has a problem. So you know, we're all about um, serving communities, making vibrant places for people to come, um, and, and having integrated places that provide multiple utility for people. So that our strategy really going forward only works when the customer is at the center of it. Yeah. And you guys, I think that you guys kind of coined that term living cities, right? Yeah. And it's kind of touching on that blending of whether it's truly the blending of the asset classes, but the recognition of the consumer's day touches all those, you know, it touches mass transit, it touches retail, it touches, yeah. you know, office resi, all those things. How do you see in terms of, you know, from a business model perspective, I guess if we just focus on office, but what do you, what do you guys think the impact is of kind of starting to connect these? Because you're first off, it's fascinating that you're, older than our country and so when you talk when you literally think of the term old school you would think that you guys are but you're actually quite forward thinking so how are you guys thinking about that across you know 
asset classes merging and how digital starts to connect these and what the impact yeah. is or isn't, you know? Yeah, I think the thing is, um, we, we have to look at the thing that we have going for us. If, if, we, if we think about digital giants, and, and I could sit here and say, Amazon knows more about the people who occupy our offices and occupy our you know, residential buildings or our shops more than we do. Mm -hmm. They have more information on them. They know their habits. They, know, they probably know what they talk about at homes or in Amazon Alexa or whatever. Scary, isn't it? That is kind of scary, right? But but that they're listening to this right now. I think. Yeah, well, I'm sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that's what we're up against, really. There, there are additional giants that are out there providing utility and service and things that customers want because they know so much more about them. And so when we reflect on our business, if we if we were to look at this just as, well, what do we want Office to be? Then we will very definitely miss a trick. We, have that. we can only do this if we start to join the sectors together and say, well, we're all about creating an integrated place so that um, we can understand what it is that consumers want, whether they live in our building, work in our building, shop in our streets, dine in our restaurants. It's about a sort of whole experience of an integrated place. Um, and you only get that when you start to join the sectors together. Mm. Um, so some of it is a data play. And, and actually, we often talk about creepy versus cool. Um, there's a whole bunch of technology we could deploy. Most of it will come out of China in terms of facial recognition. We will never do things like that because it's very definitely on the creepy end of the spectrum. <laughs> um, I'd love to see a picture of the whiteboard that you guys have with those two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. but there's there's all sorts of technology I'm sure we can get into that that actually help us to generate insight into what customers want, but in a very transparent, non-creepy way that just helps us serve them better. And as I say, that only comes when you consider how does residential play with office. So for example, if we have a residential tenant, you know, they may might not want to go and commute an hour. Could we provide some, you know, uh, workspace for them within 15 minutes of a residential building that we built? I mean, that's the kind of way we need to look at it mm -hmm. because, you know, we're, we're providing them a service across all of the parts of their life, where they live and where they work, uh, you know, where they shop as well. So this is a sort of full customer experience that we're really shooting for. So I think one of the interesting things when you're talking about like asset classes coming together you guys also are pretty unique in that your strategy and keep me honest, but you're both tremendous from a global scale perspective, but you're also hyper-focused on kind of distinct local community and what, yeah. you know, yeah. being local in all of your collateral is super critical. So, yeah. you know, you talked about service becoming much more important. Do you see that combination of particularly now that sticking with office for the second, but also understanding that they, none of these things can work in a silo, but do you have a distinct advantage because large employers, many of your largest customers are probably looking for scale in some pretty interesting ways where I know your, your platform and you talk about big digital platforms, but you guys have a huge platform when you add it all up together that, yeah analog it's 
siloed, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But now with digital, you can start to connect these things. Have you guys thought about yeah. what global scale means in kind of the digital realm as well? Yeah. Um, and actually, it's, it's an interesting question because you describe us as having uh, the scale and geographical reach and all of those things. But the, the truth of it is that we are um, linked to an asset. Whereas Amazon is less so, and Google is less so. Um, you know, Airbnb is asset light, it's not asset heavy. So uh, it's both an advantage because we are international. Uh, it's an advantage because we think very locally, we think about communities. So we, we don't take a very cookie cutter approach. We take a very bespoke approach, what is right for those communities. Um, but we will always be somewhat limited in scale because we are rooted to the asset. So for us, it's how do we provide for the communities in which we serve, but also how do we generate scale by going beyond our own asset base? Mm. So how do we how do we generate great service that everyone will want, irrespective of if they're in one of our buildings or not? Mm. And that's a trick. Talking about ESG a little bit, which I know is a big focus for you guys. Yeah. I mean, how are you guys seeing technology yeah. foster more sustainable building and communities? Yeah, it's a fascinating area. And actually, you know, our purpose, um, you know, to improve properties and places to deliver lasting commercial and social benefit sort of tells you how much it features for us. It's equally weighted with commercial benefit, mm -hmm. this social benefit piece. The, the thing that we have, um, and there's all sorts of ways of looking at technology or, or probably more properly um, really looking at innovation because it's also about material innovation. I mean, when we're building new buildings, you know, a lot of, for example, embodied carbon will come from, you know, the concrete that you use. So, you know, are we looking at, you know, cement-free concrete, for example? We, yes, absolutely, we are. So. Um, cross-laminated timber, all of those things. So there's material innovation that, that we're engaging with to try and put into all of our new developments. And that's when we're building brand new stuff, of course. The other thing is um, either you'll have a, you know, a completely fresh site and you're building something new, which is fine, but quite often you'll be demolishing a building. Um, and what do you do with the materials that exist? the windows, the doors, the mm. steel lintel, all of those things that you really don't want to go to landfill or to waste. So we've been looking quite a lot at the platforms that help us to trade secondhand market for materials. So that material reuse is also a really critical part for us. You know, can we have, you know, architects, you know, ABC Limited who are building a project in two years time look at the stuff that we're um, demolishing now and say, those windows will work perfectly in the design of the building we're doing. So tell you what, we'll sell them to you right now. You come and collect them, we'll even store them for you uh, and you, you integrate them into the building. That's a fantastic um, way of doing it. But it only works when you have a digital platform that allows people to buy and sell um, existing materials. The other thing that um, we need to consider, which is, clearly a, a bigger feature of our UK business is that we have so many heritage buildings. Mm. So how do you make heritage buildings sustainable? And if you have an answer, please send it back to me. 
<laughs> but it's it's very hard because they are generally listed buildings and what we're allowed to do to them is very limited. Yeah. So the planning constraints are such that you can't put a big PV panel on the roof or you can't go and replace all the windows very easily. You can't put a sensor on the outside. You just can't do any of that. Mm. So technology innovation is actually way more critical in heritage buildings than any other because you're so constrained by what you can do. Right. Because there's so much sort of standard solar cell stuff out there, but we can't do any of that. Mm. We have to go even further down the innovation spectrum, you know, the, the stuff that's probably seed stage innovation, because it has to be so specific. And, you know, whether it's a solar cell on, on the glass, it needs to be almost perfectly transparent because we're not allowed to use glass that isn't for example. Mm. Now, there's not much of that yeah. solar cell on glass, which is perfectly transparent at the minute. So, um, yeah, technology innovation on that is just even more important, oddly, than it is on, on the other stuff that we do. I mean, you guys must be able to, obviously, in certain developing markets where everything's new build, it's got to be a little bit easier. Yeah. Certain categories. It is. Sure. It is. Funnily enough, yeah. it, it is because you're starting with a a clean sheet of paper. I mean, you, you can plan it in. I mean, all of these things, and everyone knows this, all of these things are not yet at a stage where it's perfectly economical to do it. I mean, there's there's still a premium for these things, but it's important, and that is a, um, a part of our purpose, so we, we crack on and do it. But it's far easier to do in a brand new build than it is to do an existing building. Yeah. So I guess what, if you had to pick one initiative that you're mm. most excited about, yeah. what would you choose? It's funny, um, this is a bit self-indulgent, I realise, but um, we've we've set up a, an innovation lab. Um, it's actually on one of our development sites in London. It's called The Foundry. Um, and actually, so what it, what it is, it's a dedicated space, workshop space, desk space, collaboration space um, for startups to come in, work with us, work with each other um, to find novel solutions to complex problems. Um, you know, we'll set up, you know, a, a mocked up retail store of the future, a mocked up apartment of the future, and we'll iterate with different forms of technology in order to figure out what works the best so that we can roll it out in all of our future developments, etc. Um, now that's super exciting. Um, not least because it's a kind of cool thing to do mm. anyway, <laughs> but also as a signal of does Grosvenor take this sort of thing seriously? Is Grosvenor serious about innovation? Well, yeah, because yeah. We've, we've set up a dedicated lab for startups to come and work with us to, to find you know, solutions to complex problems. That's a really great thing to do, and it's something we're really proud of. It's, it's still in its early stage, of course, and the pandemic hasn't helped us really get off the ground that quickly. Um, but it's a really great space to have. And it's it's immediately adjacent to a fairly large development site we have in Bermondsey. Um, so a lot of you know the work we'll do will be with the project team and the main contractor on the Bermondsey development to say in future phases, which of this innovation can we build into the development? So it's a really great opportunity for us. And it's also not something that has to stay in London. It's a model that we can roll out into North America and into Asia as, as we as we grow and develop so that we get innovation right where it needs to be. And that's that's a really exciting project for us. Yeah, that's really interesting. In terms of, you know, mindful of time here wrapping up, you guys are that investment is significant, I think, particularly compared to 
probably where a lot of other folks are in market. So as someone who uh, kind of took on the, the digital and innovation hat coming out of a different role, I guess, what advice would you give to uh, a lot of the audience that is probably behind where you guys are in uh, the transformation journey and probably trying to wrap their head around? Yeah just some of the things that you have in the lab versus building a full lab, right? Like, yeah. Well, I think when I reflect on our journey over the last few years, and, and this is probably something for the whole industry, um, which is starting to get known, and that is that it didn't really have the burning platform. There wasn't really, certainly a few years ago, the, the sort of imperative to act. And now I think, you know, we saw it a few years ago, everyone is definitely seeing it now, that there is a burning platform. There, you know, standing still is not an option anymore. Whereas, mm. you know, in, in the real estate industry, and particularly if you look at London, you know, yield compression has been such that the returns, low interest rate environment, you know, returns on real estate have been pretty good for quite a long time now. And actually we're facing a period where that's unlikely to be true. Mm. And certainly, and almost definitely untrue um, if you do nothing. So our thing was, you know, create the imperative to act. And then once you have that around the organization, then of course, everything becomes a lot easier to do. So, you know, partnering with um, you know, various firms, in our case, we partnered with Plug and Play in order to help us with our, our access to startups and innovation. And we've got other partners. True is a good example in the UK who are a retail um, specialist. Who so so really, my underlying message there is: do do I know and do we know everything we need to know about which startups are best, which sectors are best? No, of course we don't. But we just go and partner with the right people who know way more than we do, mm. and they really feed us and help us. And and we're the ones pushing and driving, but they are really providing us with all the ammunition to go and, and do some really great stuff. Um, I'd have to say that we're quite lucky that in the organization, you know, we're, we're at a point now where they're really behind us. You know, this is really shaping the strategy for the next 10 years. So um, there, is a, there is a momentum, there is a way forward to say, you know, doing nothing is not an option. Um, digital disruption, customer-centric thinking, is absolutely what we need to be doing uh, for our business integrated places that you know are a mix of uses and green space. And that's really important to to put together and leverage. So there's really a groundswell for us of, of momentum. And for me personally, I mean, as, as you say, I was a finance guy for just about all of my career, um, but I I just don't like doing the same thing today that I did yesterday. So I, I just get irritated and, and therefore I sort of agitate for change. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think that's the thing. That's probably the takeaway really, just agitate for change. And with a burning platform, other people will come with you uh, and just you know partner with the right companies who can provide you with the ideas and you're away. Well, yeah, if you don't like doing the same thing twice, there's certainly enough volume in prop tech to keep you busy, probably more more than you can even consume, right? That's very true. Very true. Yeah. All right. Well, Ian, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate you coming on the Let's Go show. Yeah, thanks for having me. For more information about how HQO can help you connect with your workforce and make smarter CapEx decisions and drive more NOI, visit us at HQO.com. 
This is Chase Garbarino. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go.